Hi friends, and welcome to the T21 Mom podcast. My name is Mary and I'll be your host. And this is episode 87. And Ron, who is normally my co-host, is not here with me today. But today I'm speaking to filmmaker Olivier Bernier and his wife, Hilda Bernier, about their son's lack of inclusion in the New York school system. And it's an amazing documentary that they've made and you can find it on Amazon Prime. And I really encourage you to look for it and we'll put a link in the show notes as well. And to watch this documentary, it is incredibly moving and at times so emotional and really gut-wrenching what they've had to go through to get Emilio included in a gen ed classroom. So let's go and have a listen. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, I have the privilege of speaking with award-winning filmmaker Olivier Bernier and his wife Hilda Bernier. Welcome both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. So today we're going to talk about your just released and amazing documentary, which I had the privilege to watch and I absolutely loved it called Forget Me Not, a film about your son Emilio and inclusion in the classroom. But first, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about you? We, uh, we are currently in New Jersey. We have a, a son, Emilio, he's now six years old and I'm a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, Emilio was born with Down syndrome and that's what kind of led up led us on the journey to making the film. Yeah. I am Hilda. I am Emilio's mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we also have a one-year-old uh, daughter, uh, brand new, <laughs> <laughs> um, named Emilia, Camila. Um, I am a, I, I, I am a teacher, a special education teacher, um, was teaching until Emilio was born pretty much um and um yeah just uh you know embarking on this journey as as I learn about motherhood and Down syndrome um you know it's uh it's quite a ride Yes, I totally, I totally hear hear you because that's was my journey too. Was learning about motherhood and Down syndrome, and it can be really overwhelming. And so, uh, but I'm, it's really wonderful that you both have are sharing your story. And when I watched uh, Forget Me Not, which I thought was so aptly named, and I was just riveted right from the very beginning, the opening scenes. It's such a raw and intimate, gut-wrenching, personal and emotional account about your journey as parents and your fight for inclusion for your son, Emilio, who has Down syndrome and his rights for inclusion. Was it difficult to do such a personal film? Well, to be honest, when we started making the film, it wasn't meant to be so personal. We really set out to make a film about inclusive education and and what that looks like because I really it's something that I knew I wanted for Emilio to be included um, in every aspect of life and I wanted to find out what inclusive education was and then as we started making a film about inclusive education we saw Emilio going down a track to become segregated so we started to turn the cameras on ourselves and at that point I, I 
you know, spoke to Hilda about it. And I said, you know, is this something that we should, you know, put in the film? And Hilda was game and said, yeah, because, uh, you know, if we don't do it now, we're going to lose the opportunity. Mm -hmm. and so Hilda, we didn't really know how personal it would be from the outset. Of, yeah, of course. Yeah, because I, I thought it was quite an intimate account of of your journey. And, and Hilda, you being a special ed teacher, like you would have been somewhat familiar with this, would you not? Um, so I, I was familiar with um, uh, the IEP process and, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I got, I had the opportunity of teaching uh, integrated classrooms mm -hmm. and also uh, uh, a handful of uh, self-contained environments. Um, so I, I was exposed to to education and 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 and, and the field of uh, uh, teaching students with disabilities beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, but it, when you are at the other end of the of the conversation, it's uh, quite different um, because then you realize how much uh, the decisions that other people make for your child can impact their lives. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, I was uh, trained uh, as a teacher, mm -hmm. uh, but as a mother, it was, everything was uh, a fresh uh, experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, right from the very beginning of the film, like we literally see the start of your journey when Emilio we actually get to see him being born and you did not know that he had down syndrome and you know the the camera showed emilio shortly after he was born and i could tell right away that he had down syndrome and the doctor is telling you that he sees signs of down syndrome had you even held him yet uh no uh <sighs> they had they were taking you know observing him in mm -hmm. this uh little uh container on my bedside mm -hmm. um, and taking measurements and all that kind of stuff um that you know doctors do when babies are born but i could tell right up right away that that there was something going on because mm -hmm. they didn't hand me the baby right away and now i that i had a you know a second child they gave it they get they gave her to me right away so right right in that instant when I didn't have the chance to hold my baby mm -hmm. uh, in the first five minutes, I I knew that uh, there was something that 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 they were discussing, um, and and that's where everything started becoming very uh, confusing for me and um, nerve wracking, to say the least. Wow! So the doctor like in the film he's actually explaining like he sees signs of down syndrome and you hadn't even held emilio yet yeah. that is terrible that is so terrible i am like so sorry that that happened to you i mean because when you get your diagnosis of down syndrome like whenever that is i had a prenatal diagnosis it is so earth shattering and unforgettable and yet you just had a baby and you hadn't even held your baby yet 
And I can't even imagine what that was like for you. Like how, like this should be a joyous and a momentous occasion. And the doctor is telling you that I can't like, I mean, like you, you're, you have the right uh, feel because for me, um, you know, um, I cannot say that it was like the happiest day of my life, mm -hmm. you know, um, because in that instant, everything, mm -hmm. every idea that I had about motherhood and parenthood and like the, the vision I had for, for us as a, as a collective unit, like I, it, it all crumbled. Mm -hmm. um, and um, all the what ifs, all the whys started popping out of my head. And, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a little bit dark for me mm -hmm. um, to be on that place. Um, but, you know, you, you realize like, you know, he has been diagnosed with uh, this genetic condition and what do you, what are we going to do? We're going to push, we're going to push through, we're going to give him the best life we can, mm -hmm. as we will do with any of our children. You know, um, the, the fact that he has Down syndrome does change his things, but it, it, you know, he will, he will have every opportunity that we, that we want him to have, that he wants to have, you know, that's what we're here for. And that's, um, that's what's going to happen. Someone, <laughs> someone asked me recently, like, it, did the doctor deliver the information that your son has Down syndrome in a good way? And I didn't quite know how to answer that because mm -hmm. I think that for me personally, there wouldn't have been a good way to receive the information mm -hmm. because I think that I didn't know what Down syndrome was. And I had this vision of doom and gloom immediately mm -hmm. when it's so different mm -hmm. you know someone with down syndrome can live such a full life and in that moment i was thinking that you know emilio wouldn't have the opportunity to have um the opportunities that that we would expect of a typically developing child so i think a lot of the issues we had in that moment were kind of set up by generations of misinformation mm -hmm. about what down syndrome is in a way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I know through the Down syndrome Diagnosis Network, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they've been fighting hard to get the medical profession to change on how they deliver the diagnosis of Down syndrome. And it's just recently in the last few months been adopted into the, um, I don't know what to call it, the medical literature that uh, doctors receive. So, which I think is really fantastic because I found that piece in the film and it's so early, it's literally the beginning of the film, just so gut-wrenching. And I just felt so, I felt so terrible for you both at that moment that this is how you're receiving the news and you haven't held your baby yet. And and I think for everyone, it's a time that you don't ever forget. You and it, And I don't know if doctors really realize that that impact that they are having on their patients at that time when they're giving literally life-changing news. And like you said, Olivier, like you thought it was all doom and gloom, but you know, as we move forward in this journey, we realize it's not like, like, and myself included, you know, our views are 
outdated based on things that we knew growing up and just because we haven't had the experience of being with other people with down syndrome or other disabilities so it's such a challenge and and such a terrible time to to get that like i i know i did better with having a, a prenatal diagnosis most people say however they get it was the better way i don't know if you guys agree with that like you would do better with a birth diagnosis or prenatal but you know it's hard either way whenever well, you get the diagnosis i'll tell you what we um you know i actually recorded that moment by accident i hadn't stopped recording the camera um and the camera was literally around my neck and yeah. Like, that's why you just see the doctor's hands mm -hmm. and it took me a year to just check if the footage was actually there and it took me a whole nother year after that to actually watch it for the first time mm -hmm. um, it was so dramatic so. yes i i can believe that 100 percent like as you're moving forward in this journey so you have this birth diagnosis like when did you realize that you needed to make this film like was there a pivotal moment or was it kind of just sort of organic, like it just kind of grew on its own. Well, when we um, first had the diagnosis, you know, I realized that I wanted to use the opportunities, my tools as a filmmaker to try to understand, both understand Down syndrome, what the world could look like for Emilio, and at the same time, hopefully make the world a little better for Emilio and, and children that have the same diagnosis. So when I started thinking about it, I really, thought what brought me to this moment where I'm completely scared and don't understand what Down syndrome is. And then I started to think about my own schooling and the fact that I had never met anyone with Down syndrome my entire life. And I was 30 by that point in my early 30s. So I started to think about why is that? And then I realized that in a school of 3,000 students, they must have been hidden from us. And mm -hmm. so I started to think about what inclusion is and what it means. And of course, I thought inclusive education was, you know, I thought schooling had progressed since the 90s. I thought we were, inclusion was normal by this point. Um, and we quickly found out that it wasn't. So that's what we started making a film about. Can you give a bit of a brief synopsis of what Forget Me Not is about so our listeners have a context of what we're talking about today? Sure. Um, Forget Me Not is about inclusive education. We follow the story of Emilio, who is our son, who at the time was two and a half. And as we go on a journey to try to get him in inclusive education, we're also learning what inclusive education is and how it, it could be a benefit to him. Um, as we're filming, we get tremendous pushback from the school district mm -hmm. as they try to segregate him. So we start to look at what segregation is, where it started and and why is it still prevalent? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what was your goal of the film? Did it kind of change over time? Because it's such a personal account. As I mentioned earlier, we we really set out to make a film about inclusive education, and we were going to work in Emilio into maybe the first, second, and third act for a little moment just to show <laughs> connection to the subject matter. It wasn't going to be so heavily about our family. Um, but we realized that Emilio's story had the opportunity to maybe change something for other children coming after him. So we thought it was important to really open up our own lives um, to the film and make ourselves vulnerable to show people um, what it's like to be on the other side of the IEP table. Yeah, it, it can be very daunting, like, because early in the film, there's 
a lot of talk about Emilio's IEP and individualized education plan. And it's a little bit different here in Canada, like the IEP than in the States, um, but still, it's still overwhelming regardless of where you are. And, you know, I remember when they were asking you, Hilda, they asked you what you're looking for in an evaluator and you were so honest saying, I don't know. And I'm afraid of making the wrong choice. And I think every parent could so agree with you that we're all worried about making the wrong choice for our, for our kids, typical or not. And, but how were you feeling when they were asking that? Like, how, how did you feel? Um, you know, it's, they give you a list of like all these providers and all these evaluators and you know like i i did get a chance to like uh interact with other parents that were uh that went through that process uh before us and um i i almost felt like i was drowning on information mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um and yeah um there were certain agencies that were recommended over others. Mm -hmm. um, and I can specifically specifically remember one that was very highly recommended. And, and um, you know, when I called to make the appointment, they were like, oh, well, there's a wait list that is this long. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> you have to wait like three months to from, from this point on. So... Um, uh, you know, it was, um, very, um, uh, disappointing to some extent because, you know, like you don't know, like you don't know if you're going to get with the right people, mm -hmm. um, you know, you narrow the list down to certain number of agencies and then you go with whatever can fit in within everybody's schedule. So, um, yeah, it, it, it. It was um, a nerve-wracking experience, mm -hmm. to say the least. Yeah, to, to say the least, right? <laughs> and I think there's, you know, you're speaking to, I, I believe it's an evaluator uh, who flat out told you, you don't want to put him in a gen ed, gen ed class if you don't think he's going to progress there. And I was really stunned to hear that. It was, to me, it sounded so callous like why do you think there is this dominant mindset in the state of new york and probably quite likely elsewhere in the states that they would say this essentially discouraging parents for putting their child in gen ed um i believe that it's just a mindset that has been worked on to onto like all the uh, professionals in the area in the in the educational uh, arena um uh, that, you know, that there are special educators and there are gen ed teachers and that, you know, special education, children that need IEPs belong in segregated settings. Um, it is a mindset that, that has been cooked on for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And um, in reality, it would, it's not really doing a service to anyone. <laughs> um, because like Olivia said, like, back in the 90s when he was going to school like he did not know where where children with down syndrome were being educated or or any other uh uh 
uh, disability. They, like he, he had no idea where they were because they were hiding them mm -hmm. in a separate room. Um, and you know, I believe that like that that mindset is, that has to be uh, changed. Mm -hmm. um, and it 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 depends. It all depends on like how um, the education departments want to how, how to what extent they want to really mm -hmm. implement these things because there are there are certain structures already in place that they are trying to just keep filling. Um, and at the end of the day. Um, you know, you have people saying, oh, your child is going to be uh, better off in a segregated setting, um, but the child hasn't even given the chance to, mm -hmm. to be on a gen ed class. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it, that's something there's... that has to be um, worked on by the adults. <laughs> yeah. There's still a fundamental disbelief that someone with an intellectual disability can be successful and can learn and can lead a successful life. And part of that is that, like myself, and like as I mentioned, I grew up in a day and age where we didn't see people with Down syndrome mm -hmm. be successful in our classes, and we didn't see them grow up uh, out of the shadows, so to speak, you know, and that's only happening now. And I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a change that's going to take time. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It's just going to take some time. And I was really surprised that Sarah Joe, who I have also had on the podcast talking about inclusion, said New York is at the very bottom of all the states for inclusion. I was really surprised by this. Like, why do you think that is that New York out of all the states is the lowest? It's a great, it's a great question that we were never able to quite get to the bottom of. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we do know that New York had some of the worst institutions in the mm -hmm. nation. Um, some of the most students were institutionalized. And then you also combine that with having one of the largest public or the largest public school system in the mm -hmm. nation, which is okay. like, if you can imagine, you know, it's like trying to to make a change in a school district like that is trying to move a Mack truck without an engine, you know, it's like, yeah the big push uphill. Um, so I think that there's been a lot of people probably that have come along over the years and have tried to make a difference, but it's just changing an institution that large, large is, is difficult and it's going to take time. But, you know, we, we hope that enough people um, speak up and enough uh, cases like Emilio's come across the table that slowly they start to see children be what's called integrated in, instead of included in New York. Um, and, you know, once teachers see the success, you know, they'll, they'll want to implement it more. Okay. Yes. And, you know, and I think you make a good case in, in your film, you know, early in your journey, it had to have been just so discouraging, like the constant advocacy, you know, fighting for what is right, fighting for basic rights, you know, such as inclusion, it's exhausting that often parents just give up, like, what kept you going and what do you tell other parents um i always like to to let parents know that they that they have options and that they should set their priorities decide what their priorities are mm -hmm. um and then work from the, from those work towards achieving and reaching those priorities. Um, so once you 
have that defined, then you you can try to find different ways to get there. For us, it was uh, to have him in in, in inclusion, mm-hmm. uh, an inclusion class. So we, when when we first started, we went believing that we could work with the team and that we could, you know, find ways to to get him in there and make it work for him. Uh, but then quickly we learned that that they had other plans. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know our 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 other avenues and our other plans started kicking in as we were maneuvering this circumstance. Um, yeah, but it, it helped that we knew what we wanted. Um, uh, because it was, you know, some people don't have, uh, don't know their rights Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they would be talked into placing their, their children in settings that might not be appropriate for them. Um, but you know, once we had to activate plan B, plan C, et cetera, et cetera, um, then we said we're gonna get there, um, and and you know this is this is how we're gonna do it. Um, so I, I recommend parents to to set their priorities and 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 work towards that. And and Sarah Joe is just invaluable to us mm-hmm. in that process because we, we did try to go it alone. You know we thought is this a special education teacher like we got this. Mm-hmm. Um, what you find out at that table is that it's extremely emotional process. Mm-hmm the trajectory of your child's being decided in that moment mm-hmm. and uh you know it, it does really help to both have that vision as Ida mentioned but also to have someone by your side to kind of help you through those moments yes i think that is key is to have someone sometimes they don't even have to say anything just to be there for moral support and i remember in the first few years that's what i did because it it our introduction into kindergarten i mean that's another story for another day was was terrible and uh you know and i i did bring a few people to the table when i went to the iep and it wasn't it wasn't pleasant you know things are better now thankfully but you know that was not how i wanted our introduction to school to be but you know and i just saw so much of myself and i'm sure probably every parent who has a child with Down syndrome will feel the same way. I mean, I cried a lot throughout the film. It has just all the feels and I totally could understand and commiserate exactly what you're going through. And, you know, Hilda, I was watching like while they were doing Emilio's assessment and how terrible it went and, and how negative they were in the evaluation and the written report. And I could see and feel all the pain and emotions on your face. Like, how did you pick yourself up after this? It just feels like so defeating at times. Yeah, um, you know, it, it 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 was very hard to like all that information and all that process was very hard to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I just, you know, I I, I kind of like had to convince myself that we were doing the right thing mm-hmm. <laughs> because you start second guessing your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, I also n- know my child and I know that he is 
that you know he's going to do everything he wants to do like mm -hmm. he you know he um he's an amazing little guy and he is very observant and and he's very smart and you know at the end of the day um i i walk through that process knowing that he can prove people wrong mm -hmm. which he shouldn't have to be proving himself to anybody because yeah. You know, like what are what are we doing? It's not a competition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I do I you know, I I I know that he's going to be all right. Mm. And that he's going to bring so many good things everywhere he goes and everywhere in, in every classroom he, he sits and participates. Um the 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 what he brings into everybody's life and into everybody's educational experience it's it's going to uh over overpass any 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 report that you could get mm -hmm. because those reports are full of data that they use to justify this the, putting them into segregated settings um so yeah. it's just a collection of data points it doesn't really reflect what he knows, what he can do, um, you know, and also they, they they need to write a lot of that stuff just so that they can justify putting him um, in, in, you know, in, in special education. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, because as I was watching that part on the film, uh, my daughter has a dual diagnosis of autism and it was so similar to what you went through. It was like almost uncanny. And when they gave me the report, the doctor verbatim told me, don't bother teaching her the ABCs or the niceties such as please and thank you because they don't mean anything to her. And like you, I just, I felt like I had failed my child. It, it, felt so defeating. I don't know to this day if he meant don't ever teach her that or just don't teach her right now. But at that time, because I'd spent all this time teaching her the ABCs and right. and please and thank you. And he's telling me, don't bother. And it just, yeah. And I, it was just this report. It was so negative. And like you said, it's just a collection of data trying to, for them to give reason for, you know, for putting them in a certain classroom and, and so on. And so, yeah, it was, it was so similar to my own personal experience. And, and it was just gut wrenching watching that because I knew exactly what it felt like going through that. And like throughout the film, you speak with other families who have a child with Down syndrome. And one of the moms that you talked to, I, I can't recall her name, but uh, like, I was absolutely devastated. Her, her son's name's Wesley. And she had discovered at just five months, old he was segregated from the other babies in the daycare like and he was put in the basement like i was horrified when i heard that i mean i'm sure she was when she discovered that and i mean hearing these stories it makes me feel like it's almost like an impossible mountain to climb because here at five months they're already segregating the child for no reason at five months like to me that was crazy I mean, I'm sure you talked to a lot of different, like a lot of families. Did you encounter these types of stories often? Yeah, we, we encountered a lot of stories like that. 
And I think that when we when we spoke to Kim and and Wesley, you know, the idea behind that was that we really have the fundamental belief that a child should be included and not segregated because of the way they're born. Mm -hmm. um, it's clear that people with Down syndrome, especially because they wear their disability, mm -hmm. you can see it that they're segregated almost immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's that's one of the things we need to overcome. And in fact, you know, whenever we do receive a bad evaluation report or we have to go to an IEP meeting, that's the one belief that I hold on to in my core is that no matter what, Emilio should not be segregated just because of the way he was born. Instead, mm -hmm. the school system should change the way they teach to include him and to make him accepted in the class. So I, you know, I think that Wesley's story really exemplifies that in, in a really dramatic and horrific way. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was just so happy that Kim was able to share that story with us. Mm -hmm. And also an update there that he just entered his freshman year of high school now. And he, uh, we actually screened the film at his high school for all the teachers during professional development day. And they love him. He's doing fantastic. He's in general education. Uh -huh and he's doing great now. Oh, that just makes me so happy to hear that. That's so wonderful to hear because it just sounded like a really an uphill battle for his mom, because I, I if I recall correctly, she was homeschooling him for a while too. Yeah. So, oh yes. my gosh. Oh, that's awesome. And, and then there is Aiden who, whose dad is a lawyer and is willing to go all the way to the Supreme court for his, for his son's right to be in jet ed, gen ed in middle school. And I was really shocked to hear that the government has already spent so much money fighting them. I think he said, like at that point it was 250,000 and that it's gonna go up to a million dollars fighting for Aiden not to be in gen ed. I, I don't, but it's his right. I don't understand like why they're spending all this money to fight what is right because isn't um and correct me if i'm wrong the disability act ida you know which was passed by clinton in 90 1997 isn't that what that is like that he can have an inclusive education but yet they're fighting that absolutely ida um says that you know you should have a free and appropriate education it says that you should be uh educated in your community and it says that you should be educated in the least restrictive environment. Mm -hmm. um, the law is really clear on this stuff. Um, it does leave some room for ambiguity in certain areas, like what is the least restrictive environment, I guess. But mm -hmm. it's pretty clear that you should be in the least restrictive environment. Um, what happens is that school districts don't want to do this for a number of reasons. Um, in Aiden's case, the school had never included anyone with an intellectual disability. And it's pretty clear that they're just afraid that they're going to open the floodgates for other children to do the same thing. And that's why Aiden's father has been so adamant about fighting this, because he knows that if he can make a difference in this school, it's going to change the world for all the generations of students that come after him. And I, I really commend him for mm -hmm. all the effort he's put into it. Um, he, Aiden currently, or at the time when we were filming, um, his only option was to be bused an hour away 
to mm-hmm. the school district. And his, by the way, he has two siblings that go to his local school. So he'd be bused an hour away, couldn't go to school with his siblings. So they decided to homeschool him. And the, the problem that you see here is that Aiden's dad is already a lawyer. You know, it's to fight this stuff is really expensive. It takes a lot of time and most people can't do it. So it becomes a war of attrition and mm-hmm. school districts know this. Um, you know, when we were doing research for this case, we heard that there was uh, lawsuits still floating around from the seventies in New York city. So wow. you can imagine just kind of the uphill battle that you're up against. And it's cheaper, honestly, for schools to, um, to let them, to let um, someone sue them so that they pull out of the public school system and go into private. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a whole nother issue because, you know, I'm, I'm a strong believer in public schools and how important they are to our society. So you're not fixing anything by, by you know, going to private school essentially. Yeah, I, I, I know I was just astounded because that money could be spent on our kids or on other kids, you know, which is just really mind boggling that they're, they're doing that. I mean, it just as a little side note, uh, Clinton was the first sitting president to go to a special Olympics at this, um, the ceremony and a photographer had captured like all the athletes had been given, um, you know, the little disposable cameras and, he noticed that they all had them turned the wrong way. And so he, he was like, he thought that was odd. And then he went over to tell them, no, this is how you, you hold the camera. And he goes, but then he was told that, no, this way we can see the way holding it backwards, they could see the president better. And he said for him, that was like a really a light bulb moment that they were teaching him something, you know, he just assumed they didn't know how to do it or how to use the camera. And, uh, you know, but they wanted to see President Clinton, you know, closer up. So I thought that was a fantastic story. But um, I, I, you know, you kind of talked about it that like that there was just so much segregation in the schools. There's, which I, and I don't understand, they keep wanting to segregate our kids, but there are no studies showing that segregation is beneficial, but yet there are hundreds of studies showing the benefit of inclusion and New York just continues to fight it. Like you said, sometimes it's just cheaper for them to just get sued and the parents get tired of it and they move on. And I think you kind of answered the question, but like, you know what, cause I, I was just really horrified to learn about like literally the degree of segregation in the New York school system. I, I never until I saw the film realized how bad it was. Uh, like the uh, District 75 and West Hampton Beach. Like, has anything changed since you filmed this? Not really, unfortunately. You know, we we thought coming out of COVID and, Mm -hmm. you know, the stay-at-home orders and all that, that people would realize um, what an awful situation (sighs) would a child be segregated because every child was segregated to their own house and Mm -hmm. we saw a huge regression in in social skills and... um, However, it didn't really change much. And in fact, um, there's more segregation in, in some by some measures. Again, it's, there's always a lag in the data. Um, but, you know, I, I think 
really the point is is that it's going to take a, a change in administration it's going to change take a change in belief and the first thing is that you know it's also going to take a change of understanding amongst parents of typically developing children because i can say honestly before i had emilio i never thought of this issue mm -hmm. And the professional professionals, they call it segregated settings, yet we don't think of it as segregation. Mm -hmm. We don't think of it as the same thing as segregating someone because of race. Mm -hmm. um, but it is. It absolutely mm -hmm. is. It's, you know, and I, I think that once we can kind of teach ourselves as a society that we're, 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 we are segregating because of the way someone's born or because of the way they've developed, um, once we can understand that, then I think there'll be a lot more um, pressure to change the school system. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. A lot of it is awareness, right? Like we didn't grow up with kids with disabilities in our classroom. You know, Ainsley is in a gen ed classroom. We just had a little birthday party last week for her and, you know, typical kids came and, and I was happy about that. And, uh, you know, and that, that she does have some friends at school, you know, because I was, that was my big worry about her going into school. Is she going to have any friends? Is anyone going to want to be her friend? And I think all parents with a child with a disability of any sort, you know, feels the same way. And again, in your film, I was just like, so stunned. Like you said, it's the biggest school district in the States, which again, I didn't know that there are 60,000 kids in New York with disabilities that are segregated from their typical peers. Like maybe they're at the same school, but they're not sharing lunch together, gym, music, playground time with typical kids. They, and they even go into a different door. And I, I was really horrified to hear that. And I mean, I was thinking like, how and why has this been accepted? But I think it's because like, as you said, it's just how it's always been and they haven't had the experience of being with other kids with a, dif a difference or a disability. Like, do you think that's why? Yeah, in, in New York City in particular, what happened when they shut down, the, the institutions had to shut down, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was really a national embarrassment to institutions in New York State. Um, and suddenly you had a city that had to absorb a lot of children in the early 80s, late 70s. And they created something called District 75, which was going to be the special district. So it's co-located in all the buildings around the city. Mm -hmm. They often have their own floor. Um, they often have their own class, but they don't intermingle. It's like a separate a school within a school almost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really, this is like a leftover from a quick fix from the institutional mm -hmm. era. And the same people that worked in the institutions started District 75. And mm -hmm. it's just really, you know, nothing's... A lot has changed, a lot has progressed, but in some ways, nothing has changed since then. Yeah, that's sad, actually, that nothing has really, really changed. And as I was watching the film and you're talking with, I think it's the evaluators, it appears to me that they have so much power. Like, how is that? Like, why is that that the evaluators have so much power over what happens to our kids. Yeah, um, they do have the power and, 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 and their, their assessments give them that power. And then the, the, the numbers and the charts that they come up with are, you know, basically the, the standard for to, 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 to allow these, um, these special programs 
<laughs> to continue. Um, and, you know, um, it, it, it is disheartening uh, because it's, it's almost like the, they are looking for, for those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, um, the child is not doing this. The child is not doing that. At the time, Emilio was evaluated by um, uh, all these uh, uh, experts. They, Emilio was two and a half. Yeah. Baby still. Yeah. yeah. Toddler. Yeah. Like, so um, I, I just think it's so unfair for the child and it's so unfair for, for the family to be put through that. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, sometimes, oh, well, uh, sometimes, no, oftentimes, all the time, <laughs> um, these um, evaluators that come uh, to evaluate your, children, your, your, your kids, um, they just sit with them for like an hour mm -hmm. tops because that's you know that's what the assessment allows for and then they have to go on and evaluate five other kids on the same yeah. day and um you know everything is rushed and it doesn't really um allow for for the evaluator to create a relationship with the child and you know it's 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 unfair it's very unfair um and and then you get this report with all this uh, jargon and um, all these numbers that make official the fact that your child is lagging in so many ways. You know, it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uh, like, like you said earlier, like it makes you feel like you haven't done enough, mm -hmm. um, that you haven't done your part, that you should be doing more and doing better as a parent, it's, yeah, no, it, it's really uh, um, the power that, that this assessment gives to evaluator. It's, um, it's, it's something that uh, it has to change um, because mm -hmm. not everything is, it's, it's not everything is so bad, you know, <laughs> at two and a half they're you know, yeah, should be playing and learning with other kids and you know, it, it's all going to come. <laughs> I, I don't think that evaluators have any like ill will or trying to segregate children. But at the at, at the end of the day, you know, if they're just like, oh, you're, you know, I'm oversimplifying, of course, but if they're just like, oh, your child's fine, he'll do fine in school. Um, you know, that it's kind of seems like they're doing less work. And I think that they, they kind of um, show their worth by picking out all the things, all the deficiencies of your child. Yeah. I think it's a fundamental issue with the assessment. Oh, yes, I 100% agree. And I mean, I was really appalled at, I think it was an, an IEP meeting that you went to. I, I think that's what it was. And they refused to have it filmed, even though you said, show me where it says you can't film. And you guys were so pleasant. I don't know if I would have been pleasant <laughs> because I think it was really terrible and that they would only let it be uh record like audio recorded and they insist on placing emilio in what's called a 1212 i think it's what it is um 
saying he wouldn't do well in an integrated class and that it would be too overwhelming, but they don't even know him. Like you said, Hilda, they've spent so little time with him. Can you explain what is a 12-1-2 setting and how did this make you feel? So a uh, 12-1-2 setting, it's uh, one of the settings uh, considered um, uh, for children with higher needs. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so with 12, it's 12 students, one teacher, two paraprofessionals. Okay. Um, the higher the number of adults in the room, it's considered more restrictive, um, uh, at least uh, where we are. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, it's to consider that right off the bat without giving him a chance to mm -hmm. sit on a Janet classroom for mm -hmm. the first time at three years old. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, it just made me very mad. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Like speaking frankly, I just, I was just very, very, uh, angry about it. Um, because, uh, IDEA, stipulates that the child has to be uh, placed on genet first on a general education class first and then mm -hmm. then you work uh on the ladder you work your way into the ladder of uh interventions and s different settings um so you know the the numbers were used to justify the placement without even trying yeah him on a on a genet class um so for us that was it was very important to 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 push the brakes on that situation and said like no like we have the law says that he has the right to participate on a genet class mm -hmm. first so let's try that first and then let's move on uh and 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 do the necessary accommodations and adjustments as we go when mm -hmm. necessary. Yeah, because they kept saying that it's not harder to integrate, but it's obvious that they're just refusing to do it. You know, right. they're just kind of going with how it's always been, which is terrible. And and I was like so angry when one of the women said, I'm just trying to do my job. I mean I don't think she was trying to do anything except find the easiest path. It wasn't, it was just so disheartening. Cause that like, that's the kind of the feel that I kept getting is they just want what's easiest for them, not what's best for the child, but what's easiest for them. And, and then when you went to like the Henderson school, one of the teachers there said, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, you're not doing your job. And, I thought, yes, that's exactly it. But finally, someone realized it's that it's not always about what's the easiest route. It's what's best for our kids, typical or not. And um, but I really liked that school, the Henderson School in Boston. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Boston. Uh, sorry, the Henderson School in Boston is um, a school that practices inclusion from the very beginning. There's not a single segregated setting in the school. Mm -hmm. um, so about 40% of the children have a disability and somewhere upwards in the mid twenties have a significant disability mm -hmm. and they're all taught alongside each other. Um, the school is uh, preschool through grade 12. Oh, wow. And uh, they've been tremendously successful. They have some of the highest testing in the, mm -hmm. in the city of Boston. 
And ultimately what you see is a school that um, where the children respect each other in a way that I've never seen before. They, um, when, when you look at the children that are in the early grades, especially, they just don't see the differences. Mm -hmm. they, um, they play together, they learn with each other, they sit at the same tables um, and they enjoy each other and mm -hmm. they learn together. Uh, and it, it's like nothing I'd ever seen. So we actually had scheduled to go there for two days and we ended up filming there for six days because it, oh, wow. it was just one of the most um, special places I'd ever seen. And then, you know, when I considered it, um, I was like, well, I think like, here's the model, like this mm -hmm. works. Yeah. Perfect. It takes a lot of problem solving, but it works. Mm -hmm. um, if we can show, or at least give the feel of this school, um, you know, in an hour and a half, we can't get into all the granular details of it, but if we can at least show that this exists, maybe people will get motivated to adopt some of their learnings and bring it into their own schools. So that was um, really the, the point of it. Yeah, that's what I really liked. I thought this is such a great model. And if other schools can like adapt that or, you know, see that it, it is working, they're, they're showing that they have high test scores. It's showing that inclusion works. And one of the teachers, I really loved what she said. She said, we assume the kids are capable. And as adults, we need to figure out a way. And I thought that is so true. Like, just for my own personal experience, my my daughter had been separated from her one true actual friend. She's a typical student uh, from school because the young girl, her name's Hannah, and, and she's just lovely, uh, was too focused on my daughter. And they said it was to her detriment. And that, and that really saddened me. And then at the end of each year, they always ask, like, if you want, like, what kids you would like to be with your child to be with in, in the next year. And so I said, you know, I, I wrote down Hannah, of course, and I said, you need to figure out a way to make it work. It's her one real friend. Let's have them together in a class, you know? And so fortunately they did do that. And I'm so happy to see that, that they're making it work and that she's got some other little friends in that class too. And, you know, I, I know it's not always easy, but as a teacher said, it, it shouldn't be easy. You know, we have to make it work for our kids because our, our kids, they're worth it. You know, we have, and, but we have to fight so hard for everything for them. It's hard. Not only are they worth it. I mean, they're the future of this country. Like there's not, in, in my mind, education is like the most important thing that we can be working on as a nation. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what country you're in. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, the urgency needs to be there because it's a problem that needs to be solved now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been such a challenge and uphill battle to show people that our, our children are worthy and being celebrated. And Hilda, I loved your quote. You said, everything he does is so big for me and I just celebrate everything. And that you want him to have the same opportunities as other kids. And you think, is it is it too much to ask, you know, for people to 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 see our kids for for what they're worth and olivia what has been the response to the film like has the department of education in new york responded or have they said anything um they haven't officially responded to the film um however you know you have to assume they must have seen it but what's been interesting is kind of the grassroots um acceptance of the film within the school district we get emails constantly from different schools asking if they can screen the film 
within their school. Um, so a lot of administrators have taken up the film. A lot of teachers have taken up the film and shared it with their peers. So it's, you know, it's instead of like a top down um, response to the film, it's been a very grassroots response to the film. And it's been really encouraging to see because I think it, it gives a voice that, I think there's a lot of teachers that believe the same thing we're talking about today. Mm -hmm and they don't have a way to implement it or it just seems so hard to make the change but i think they see the film and it adds a little bit of fuel to their fire and um you know so i i hope it it does make a difference uh you know within the new york city school system but also around the country um mm -hmm. you know as we as we hear more and more schools showing the film that's really wonderful to hear that there's that grassroots movement and you know and hopefully it can just continue to grow from there and you know i watched the film and i think all parents not just parents with kids with disabilities or kids parents with kids with down syndrome but like you said educators they they, they need to see this film like the majority of people outside my down syndrome community and probably similar to you both have no idea that I and other parents like yourself, how we're fighting this discrimination, this discrimination on the daily. And it's just so exhausting that I know that lots of parents, I read it all the time. They just, you just give up because you feel like you're never going to make a change. But, you know, I think, you know, hopefully with your film, this can open up you know people's minds and realize that yes, we can do this. Like it, this is possible inclusion is better for everyone, not just for our children with Down syndrome, but for all the kids, the typical kids, you know, and just on a little side note, there's, I had this other young woman on my podcast. Her name is Riley Kate. She's all of 17 and she has started her own nonprofit that supports children. Like she sends gifts baskets to children who've been adopted with Down syndrome. And now she's expanding to um, kids with cancer treatment and other life altering changes in their life. And she said that's because she's, you know, she's had kids in her class who have been included. And, you know, and that just shows that young people today, they can make a difference. You know, they don't, by having other kids in their class that are, are different or have Down syndrome or another disability. And so I, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm hoping that lots of people will be able to see your film. And you said Emilio is now six. So has, has anything gotten better for you guys? Has anything changed? Like what kind of class is he in now? Well, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a battle every year, essentially. Yeah. But um, We're happy to report that he started kindergarten this year mm -hmm. and he's fully included in a general ed class and he's awesome. got buddies. And he's doing great and he can't wait to go to school every day. He was stuck here this week and he's, he's pretty mopey and he kept saying school, school. So, I mean, it just goes to show you um, how important school is to his life. And it, I mean, for me personally, it, it makes everything worth it. Definitely. Oh, that is just so wonderful to hear. What is your hope that people get out of your film? I, I think the number one thing that I hope people get out of the film is that they um, they decide to you know listen to themselves because I think the hardest thing to do as a parent for me personally is to to listen to your heart you know so many people mm -hmm. are bombarding you with information and you have all your your 
20, 30 years before you had your child uh, in the mix. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's hard to, to listen to yourself, but if parents can just trust their gut mm -hmm. and if they believe their kid should be included, it's worth fighting for and to keep fighting for it because it's probably the most important thing they can do for their child. 100%. Yes, I love that. Now, how can people see or find Forget Me Not? So Forget Me Not is available on uh, Vimeo, Amazon Prime um, for rental. And it's also available, I think, for a limited time on Tubi for free uh, with some ads playing before it, I believe. Um, so uh, anybody could have access to it. It's also available on DVD. Mm -hmm. um, you can go to our website and order one up. And there's also educational uh, DVDs as well that'll be coming with a discussion guide and you know any, any kind of aids for, for a classroom. And the film is also um, available in Spanish and Portuguese um, with subtitles and uh, is fully accessible. So, yeah. That's wonderful. And what's your website where people can go to to find it? And also one more thing, uh, people can set up screenings. So we're, we're trying to help uh, set up community screenings as much as possible. So if okay. someone has interest in setting up a screening, um, there's a form on our website that they could fill out and someone from the distributor will reach out to them and give them a hand. And what's your website? It's forgetmenotdocumentary.com. Okay, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. And so on Amazon Prime, and I don't know if you would know this, but is it only in the States or would it also be in Canada? I remember looking a little while ago and I couldn't find it. So I'm not sure. Do you know? That's a great question. I actually don't know what the distribution in Canada is right now specifically. Um, okay. Happy to follow up, but I do know that they will ship out DVDs um, for sure. Okay. So uh, th that might be a matter of time. Sometimes it lags a little bit from mm -hmm. the U.S. to get over to Canada. So okay. that's a great thing to look into. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. I know we have listeners all over the world. So, you know, hope, and I'm, everyone knows what Amazon is. So I'm hoping that... Uh, you know, if anyone chooses that they, wherever they live, that they'll be able to, to stream this movie. I think it's just so important to, to watch it and to learn from it. And also I think as parents to know that we're not alone, like I could totally, like I said, I could see myself in almost every scene that you guys did. And it, it although it's hard for us as parents, but it's also nice to know that we're not on this journey alone. And, you know, there's people like you out there making a film to help us because, you know, we all need that little push. We all need that help to get, you know, it known out there that our kids need to be included, that we need to, we need to work towards that. It's hard, but we need to work towards it. Thanks so much for helping get the word out and for your podcast and all that you do. Oh, my pleasure. It was a real pleasure speaking with you both. I know we had a few challenges in the beginning, but, you know, thank you so much for making such like a truly beautiful and intimate and at times really heart wrenching, uh, but important film and allowing viewers a glimpse into your life and what it's like to advocate for your child who has a little bit extra. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thank you. Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories, what's going on in your life, 
what's important to you and even tell me some things that you would love to hear on the podcast are there guests that you would like me to have on are there things that you would like to know more about let me know because i'm looking into what we're doing for the next season starting in 2023 so let me know. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at info at t21mom.com or you can find me on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at trisomy21mama. And, you know, as we, as again, as we wrap up the season, I really appreciate everyone listening to the T21mom podcast. It really means a lot to me. And like I said, I would love to hear from you. And let me know what you want to hear more of on the podcast. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos, and we will see you next time. Bye.